Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference where we help you live your faith in the public arena. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Zapiniak. Kit, how are you doing today? Hey, doing well, everyone. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that you are having a very blessed week. Remember, each week you can tune in right here on your favorite Catholic radio station at the same time. But if you miss an episode on the radio, just tune into our podcast. You can find all the archives on mncatholic.org slash podcast. There we have almost 100 episodes, so make sure to get caught up and then hit subscribe so that you won't be missing any future conversations. Leave us any comments or questions and a five-star rating. In today's episode, we've got a great discussion for you. We're going to talk uh, with a very fine Jesuit theologian and political commentator from St. Louis University about Fratelli Tutti and the Church's ongoing work of political engagement, regardless of who is in office. Uh, we're going to examine what the Holy Father has to say about his letter in uh, Fratelli Tutti about engaging polit- politics effectively. In our mailbag segment, we're covering a question about how your ideas can become law. And finally, in our bricklayer segment, we want to lay, provide you with some practical tips on how you can start to put your faith in action. Today, we're going to talk about keeping Christ at the center of Christmas while also building bridges with your legislators. So, a great show. And listeners, if you have an idea for that bricklayer segment, or maybe you just have a question about faith and politics, make sure to send those our way. You can either email them to us at show at mncatholic.org. Or you can leave us a comment on social media or right here in the podcast as well in the comments section. On social media, just search for Minnesota Catholic Conference. We are now blessed to be joined on the line by Dr. Bill McCormick. He's a research fellow at St. Louis University and a Jesuit seminarian who's also studying theology in Canada. At St. Louis University, he's been teaching courses on politics. He earned his doctorate in political science with a focus on religion and frequently writes on the intersection of these subjects for America Magazine. Dr. McCormick, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. How did you uh, decide to focus your scholarly work and academic interests on the intersection of religion and politics? What do you find so compelling and fascinating about the two things you're not supposed to talk about at dinner parties? <laughs> exactly. I wanted to stop being invited to dinner parties. <laughs> no, you know, politics and religion for me are two fields of human life where we're asking really tough questions about who we are, what we believe, how we want to live our lives. So it's no surprise that religion and politics are sort of always bumping into each other because they do offer very comprehensive answers to those fundamental questions. Before the election, you wrote a piece uh, entitled Whether Trump or Biden Wins, the Church Will Keep Losing. Uh, That's a hard shot. I'm going to need a chaser for that one. Uh, It doesn't sound very hopeful. Why do you say the church is going to keep losing? Well, and of course, there's always hope. There's always hope in Christ. But I think I was very interested in how we cooperate with Christ. And I think for me that it would be helpful for Christians to be reminded that in all of our political activity, we're not just trying to attain political goals. We are trying to evangelize. We are trying to promote the gospel. And I don't want to judge anybody, but it can often seem in American life, in American society, that we're not always focused on evangelizing the gospel, that we get easily distracted by the game of politics. 
Now, uh, I think you're right on uh, in that sense, and that's try how we try to position our work at the Minnesota Catholic Conference. Uh, you might call it the why behind what we do, and once you remember the why, which is uh, helping people meet Jesus, it helps put everything into better perspective. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, the thing is that the Church has so much to offer to American public life, and so it's a shame when we hide that treasure under a bushel basket. That's all I really want us to do is to stop to stop hiding the gospel, uh, stop hiding that treasure. Bill, is there a, a good example of an issue that you think we where we fall into this trap, and if we kept the missionary and evangelical dimension of our political engagement first and foremost, do you think we'd frame the issue differently or think about the issue differently or talk about it as a church, perhaps in a little bit different key? Oh, that's a great question. I think the answer is almost every single issue <laughs> Almost every issue in U.S. politics, Catholics debate in very polarized terms, in terms of the orthodoxy of this party versus the platform of that party. And obviously the most obvious example is abortion, where Catholics are deeply divided over whether it is a the one single issue to base your politics on, or if it has to be seen as part of a broader constellation of the consistent ethic of life. And there are good arguments on both sides, but the point is that we can't even agree among ourselves on how to approach the issue. So I don't know how we can work together to evangelize the culture on this issue of life. And I don't, I think there's a lot of goodwill on both sides. And I think that most Catholics genuinely really do want to make a difference around the policy of abortion. Uh, Immigration is another excellent, excellent example, because in theory, most Catholics in the United States really do want to welcome the stranger, and they also really do want to be responsible and prudent in policy-making decisions around security and immigration. But we split the difference. One side takes half of the argument, and the other side takes the other half. Uh, meanwhile, a lot of people are left confused about what the Church really teaches and are confused about how the Gospel is supposed to be leading them to eternal life. I think that's an excellent point. One way I frame this up, and I'd love to hear your feedback and commentary on it, is we we have, like you said, there's a real uh, sense of goodwill. Uh, we should presume goodwill. People want to make a difference on these things. Uh, on, on abortion, they also care about immigration. We shouldn't try to divide people as being uh, callous to one issue or indifferent to one issue while they care about another. But because we do have particular passions and concerns about a specific issue, then we get wrapped up in the partisan outcomes related to that issue. And that seems to be the dividing point is that we're so obsessed with political outcomes because we do care so much about specific issues that that clouds that that presentation of that consistent ethic of life. Would you agree with that analysis? Oh, absolutely. And again, it's a question of stepping back and asking, discerning what are Christians called to do in these situations? Are we going to add more heat or more light to these conversations? Are where is the opportunity to bring in the gospel leavening? And I, I include myself in this diagnosis, routinely get so caught up, as you say, in that partisan dynamic, that divisive rancor, that I forget what <laughs> I forget about my, my vocation. I forget about my role within public life as a Christian. 
And this point about the consistent ethic of life, uh, you know, in a time where people are looking for, uh, you know, there's there's certainly, it seems, a political realignment coming in this country, and, and there are different dynamics that seem to foretell that likely outcome down the road here. But in a time where people are looking for a different message, something to transcend the partisanship, a different uh, dynamic in terms of uh, the issues that politicians speak to, the Catholic social teaching, and a consistent ethic of life might be the very thing that people are looking for, but because we're so wrapped up in these outcomes, we're afraid of actually presenting it because it might help Team Red or it might help Team Blue. I completely agree. I think that is a great tragedy that the consistent ethic of life is associated with one side of the political spectrum, much as I regret that the pro-life label is often often associated on the other side. We should all be on the same team. And if we're, you know, if we're going to be uh, gentle as doves, but wise as serpents, we can look at the partisan dynamics in this country, uh, in the United States, and see that the parties are deeply divided and are not persuading a lot of people to their message. Uh, So it's uh, so often associating the gospel with a particular party inevitably means discrediting it in the eyes of the other half of the country. In your article in America that I mentioned earlier, uh, Bill, you you pose the question, are we engaging in politics to defend our faith against others, or are we involved in politics to propose our faith to others? It seems that we ought to be doing the latter, but we can't seem to ignore the former either. What what is your, what is your perspective on that? Is it a both and, or is it an either or? <laughs> No, it's always a both and. I think that's (laughs) one of the richest gifts. One of the richest gifts Catholicism can bring to public life because the both and fundamentally means not choosing between fundamental truths. And it's absolutely the case that we have to defend and witness to the truth in public life. And we also have to do so in a generous, loving, charitable way. It's all in that encyclical of Pope Benedict, Caritas and Veritate that we do precisely need to witness to the gospel in public life. And we also need so not to, when I say engage in politics to propose our faith to others, we have to show other people its goodness, its beauty, which transcends by its nature the often ugly, uh, narrow interests of partisan politics. And when we engage in politics to defend our faith from others, what does that mean? Well, I think we all know that we're not living at a time when the Church has some kind of major institutional prestige and privileges. We're certainly not looking at that situation. Uh, but we have to ask ourselves whether we engage as Catholics in a, in a sort of tribal fashion, uh, that we are the Catholics and we are trying as an interest group uh, to push our privileges and prerogatives against others. It's, as you said, it's a both-and situation in their it requires a great deal of prudence. Indeed, we have to be uh, proactive in doing what Pope Francis says and making politics one of the highest forms of charity because it serves the common good. But at the same time, we've got to defend the little sisters of the poor against unreasonable and arbitrary government mandates. <laughs> it's, a de- it's a delicate balance, it seems. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, that's where the both and comes in because we ask ourselves, and Pope Francis has a beautiful line about this in Sorcelli Tucci, uh, but we have to ask ourselves, who are we excluding from that vision of the common good? Who is the person we are leaving on the side of the road uh, instead of helping? And that's, that's the power of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, 
for politics. Indeed, yeah. So let's turn to uh, Pope Francis and Fratelli Tutti for a moment. He has uh, he centers that encyclical around the vision and the parable of the Good Samaritan, certainly paradigmatic in terms of loving our neighbor without boundaries and without exclusion, uh, consistent with the Church's consistent call to participation in social and political life, and not just participating ourselves, but working to make sure that everyone is included. A community is a sharing of gifts, and without everyone's gifts and part of that conversation, uh, then our political and social life suffers. But t- tell us about, in your view, you know, what is the main—it's a large, sprawling, encyclical Fratelli Tutti— what is the main thrust of it? I mean, it's a, it's a whole menu of interesting uh, social programs and, and aspirations. I'm not sure the communion of saints themselves could create such a society, but certainly we can <laughs> hope to uh, uh, put, lay out some ideals. But what's, what is Pope Francis's real purpose um, in writing this encyclical and delivering it to us? I think so often, as with so, so often is the case with Pope Francis, he is trying to return us to the essentials, to the fundamentals. And that is nothing more, nothing less than the love of God and the love of neighbor. And the parable of the Good Samaritan in chapter 2 of the document, obviously there's a lot of wonderful things that come after that chapter and before. Uh, But yes, he wants to center us on the love of God, the love of neighbor that comes out of the Good Samaritan. And it is, he, he says this very clearly, there's an interior struggle there. Uh, it's not easy. It's not that you flip a switch. It's not that you say, well, now I'm going to align with the party that does this better. But it is that interior struggle. In fact, I have a quote on that very point. The interior struggle that each of us experiences as we gradually come to know ourselves through our relationships with our brothers and sisters. Um, not that who is my neighbor becomes extended in a very deep and profound way. Along with his 2019 World Day of Peace message, uh, good politics is at the service of peace. If you go to Section 177, I believe it is, in Fratelli Tutti, he's basically, in in those two documents, laid out for us a theology of political engagement that's relatively been overlooked amidst all the discussions and debates about what Fratelli Tutti says and doesn't say. What is that theology of political engagement that he's inviting us into? I'm glad you flagged that, because I think the primary contribution of the Holy Father in this area is really a spirituality of politics. Mm -hmm, Indeed. Uh, He he really does want to remind us how to conform ourselves to Christ toward right action in politics. And uh, I think this is where his emphasis on politics over the economy is so important, because for him, politics is fundamentally about serving humanity. You know, uh, the Sabbath is for man, <laughs> and that is, that is a subtle but pervasive theme of his, of his political doctrine, that politics has to serve humanity, the economy has to serve humanity. And that's where he so frequently turns to the question of the people, and so frequently turns to the question of populism, because for him, those are very concrete questions. He's not just asking about their conceptual sort of architecture, but he wants to know how can a people very concretely realize its vocation to grow and flourish, to serve and love one another, and ultimately to serve the Lord. So I think, if nothing else, it's, it's a spirituality of politics that's very action-oriented toward the good of others. 
We are speaking with Dr. Bill McCormick. He is a Jesuit and a professor of politics at St. Louis University. We're talking about Fratelli Tutti and his commentary on the Church's engagement in political life. Uh, Dr. McCormick, uh, in in terms of Pope Francis's engagement and his proposal of a spirituality of politics, what does that mean for the average layperson? I think when people are surprised to learn that politics is not just a hobby that people watch on TV or engage in if they're really interested in this type of work, it can be an aspect of our discipleship. But for the average Catholic in the pew, what does that look like in a concrete way? How do they live this vocation to engage in public life? Well, the short answer has to be prayer, doesn't it? Uh, I've talked about this so many times, but Bishop Flores, the bishop of my home diocese in Texas, uh, tweeted a few months ago that you need to be reading the gospel at least as much as you're watching uh, political news on TV or Twitter. And I think re recommitting ourselves to the life of faith, to a relationship with Jesus, is essential. Um, and everything has to flow out of that. Um, and particularly because the issue, as we've seen and discussed so many times elsewhere, it, it is that so many people don't know about the gospel, that so many people are looking at the way Christians interact politically, and they ask, is this what it means to be a Christian? Is this what the love of Christ looks like? So I think that we need fundamentally to sort of press the reset button and asking ourselves, um, yeah, and asking ourselves how we want our political engagement to structure our politics. I, I also think that for a lot of Christians, as much as we talk about polarization, there are a lot of people who are quite disillusioned and apathetic. There are a lot of people sitting on the sidelines, politically speaking. So I think, you know, some Christians probably need to push back away from the TV or Twitter. But I also think there are a lot of Christians who need to find ways to get involved in politics. And I think especially at the local level, because obviously we can feel very disconnected from what's happening at the national level, that we have very little influence over. But get involved locally. Find a way to learn about an issue. Find a way to make a difference where you are. Uh, very much that grow where you're planted sort of uh, spirituality. And, and, and begin to see very concretely how your witness to the gospel can shape your public activity. Think globally, act locally. And it's not exactly. just—I think your point about—well, uh, first of all, everything starts with prayer, and Pope Francis highlights that in his famous quote about politics being a form of charity. Certainly it begins and ends with the gospel. Talk about an examination of conscience you've given us. Am I reading the gospel as much as I'm watching Tucker? <laughs> uh, that's exactly. that. That's a really—it's going to be like a sucker punch to the gut for some folks, uh, for sure. Um, and I know that goes for me in my uh, Twitter. Uh, my tw I'm taking a Twitter fast right now, but it's very difficult. I'll tell you that. But uh, in, in terms of uh, the, the the moral exercising our moral agency, I think you hit it right on the head with uh, the importance of engaging in local politics and then rooting ourselves in prayer. So thanks for that perspective. One thing I want to ask you about, too, uh, Dr. McCormick, is uh, going back to Pope Francis's proposal of an integral ecology. You noticed noted the partisan dynamic that seems to pit abortion and a broader consistent ethic of life against each other. But perhaps is integral ecology perhaps the way that we overcome that in the sense that if we look at policy and social issues in the sense of an ecosystem, the foundation of which is life, so that being a good analogy for us, that you know life should be protected and nurtured, 
especially in its most vulnerable stages at the beginning and the end, but also that it needs to flourish in between. And that's that consistent ethic of life. So we, we recognize that life is the fundamental principle in the ecosystem, but at the same time, we don't want life to just exist. We want it to flourish. Is this way of looking at Catholic social teaching, integral ecology that Pope Francis gives to us, is that a helpful dynamic that maybe could overcome some of these challenges within the Catholic community and give us a more compelling presentation to the outside world? It is. It is very helpful. And what makes integral ecology integral at the end of the day is that it points us, or orients us toward our Creator, toward God. I think we all realize fundamentally that politics tends to pit and divide us against each other. You know, we're arguing about whose rights are more important. We're arguing about who has more money or more votes. Uh, that's not how God sees the world. <laughs> you know, God created all of us. He created us in love. He wants us to return to him through his son and gave his son for that great sacrifice. So I think that integral ecology is asking us to see the world through God's eyes, you know, in the limited way we are able, which is that we are all good, we are all precious, we are all as children. And that won't suddenly solve all of the policy issues that bedevil us, but there's no question that if the more we can stop seeing politics as simply a a conflict, a contest between people, but but a place where we can all realize that kingdom of God in a very partial way. Yeah, that's the power of integral ecology, I think. And that's this is a place where, again, Pope Francis is really not reinventing the wheel. He's returning us to fundamentals of our faith and that I hope that all of us could, could subscribe to. Indeed, it's really a rebranding exercise, almost <laughs> integral precisely, ecology. Yeah. Precisely, that's you know, that's the challenge of the church to be ever ancient, ever new. Indeed, in your article that I mentioned earlier in America, you quote Pope Francis's Fratelli Tutti, and when in which he says, "Good politics combines love with hope, and with confidence in the reserves of goodness present." in human hearts. And it seems that we're suffering today from a lack of a presumption of goodwill in political and social life. And these, as we head toward the holidays, uh, people not wanting to get together with family members because of political differences, strong views one way or another, dividing families, dividing people. Uh, certainly we can, it's easy to sit in the peanut gallery and say, gee, if that's your perspective, you need to really do an examination of conscience. But what's going on here and how can we overcome that division that's even dividing families in such a strong and and, and unfortunate and destructive way? No, no, I absolutely agree that the, that the challenges of reconciliation are as great as they've ever been in U.S. politics. Um, but on the one hand, we are still... <laughs> You know, when, when people say that their family is divided, for instance, one of the questions I like to ask people is, well, what does your family do together besides argue about politics? Do you pray together? Do you cook together? Do you recreate together? And, of course, this is all complicated by COVID. But in many cases, you know, the basis for hope is community. The basis for love is good, positive, sustained interactions with other people. And so if the challenge for you with your family or friends is your encounters inevitably devolve into bitter political divides, ask yourself, how can we get out of that rut? How can we do something that we all love, that we all care about, that reminds us how much we care about each other and why we care about each other? 
And, you know, that's, that was the challenge. That's the challenge of any Christian community, is how to actually be a community, how to live together in love, and to recognize that the, the roots of that community are a lot deeper than politics, and yet can be as simple as trying to, you know, bake a pie, bake a pie together or throw a baseball around. Uh, that's the human desire for love for community will shine out in those moments. And, that, you know, that all sounds very... I don't know, it might sound trivial or trite, but I, I do think the challenge is as simple as, as spending time together. What a great way to end and uh, just a beautiful vision, starting with the simplest things and rooting ourselves in the, the basics of family life and togetherness as a way of overcoming some of the rancor division, even in our own families in this political season, especially as we head toward the holidays. We've had the blessing to be speaking with Dr. Bill McCormick. This morning, he is a Jesuit seminarian and a professor of politics at St. Louis University. Dr. McCormick, thanks for your words of wisdom and uh, for all your good work. Keep it up and know of our prayers for you. Thank you so much, Jason. And we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to jump into the mailbag to hear what comments and questions you've been sending our way. Kit, what's in this week's mailbag? Yeah, so this week's question is actually a really good one that might help everyone better understand the basic process by which laws are made. One of our younger listeners, a middle school student, left us a question saying, I have an idea for a law. But how do I get that into the hands of people who can actually make it happen? Well, laws have to be authored technically by legislators, but that doesn't mean that every legislator makes up all ideas and all laws that are passed. And so oftentimes legislators author laws and help them get enacted based on ideas that are brought to them. And so when we're looking at how to bring a policy proposal from an idea into law, from concept to reality, the first step is to make sure we've done our homework, recognize that there's a specific problem that we want to solve, and then identify a solution. And then we have to do a little bit of research and homework about how that solution actually is tailored to solve the problem that we want to solve. Once we think we've got a good idea of that, and anyone can bring that proposal, certainly middle schoolers can as well, and oftentimes they've got good ideas because they're thinking outside the box, then what you want to do is identify the right legislator to carry your bill and author your bill. That might be your elected official, your state senator or state representative, or it might be a state legislator who you know who actually cares and is well known to care about a specific set of issues. So you want to do a little bit of research there, but definitely one of the best places to start is with your own state legislator, and hopefully he or she, if they won't carry your bill, can direct you to the right colleague who can carry it. Now, legislators have a lot of great resources at their disposal. They have people in the reviser's office who help them draft laws appropriately. They've got research assistants and research associates in the legislature who are paid to help them with this process. So it doesn't have to be all buttoned up. But if you've got a really good concept and a really good idea and you've done a little bit of homework and come prepared to present to your legislator why you think it's a good idea and why it needs to get enacted, uh, you'd be surprised there might be a strong level of interest. Legislators always want to hear from their constituents, and if they can help them in any way, they're willing to do so. So I would say start with a little homework, identify the problem, identify a concrete solution to that problem. Uh, make sure you've done a little bit of research to make sure it's not already a law, and then um, give your legislator a call and see if you can set up a meeting and propose uh, your idea and hopefully bring it from concept to reality. 
Thanks, Jason. That's definitely a great way to start building a bridge with your legislator. What else do we have in this week's bricklayer segment? How might people contact their legislators? Well, people are often surprised to hear that legislators want to know that you're thinking about them and praying for them and want to be their ally and not just demand things from them. They have to know that you know we're in their corner, even if we disagree sometimes on important questions and that you want to be a resource to them. Part of that is praying for them. It's important that we are in authentic relationship with them. If we want them to do the right thing, then we have to be in relationship with them and guide them into truth. That's what Pope Francis talks about when he talks about accompaniment. We can even accompany our legislators and guide them into truth, but that requires a relationship, again, a walking together, not simply demanding things from them. And sending out a Christmas card, for example, is a great way to do that. You can find information about how to contact your official and send them a note of gratitude in this holiday season. Go to mncatholic.org action center and click on the directory. You can wish your elected official a Merry Christmas, but take time also to thank them for their service. In our action center at mncatholic.org, you can also find out what bills they've supported in the past and thank them for the times they've supported life, dignity, and the common good. Or if your legislator is new, introduce yourself and let them know what issues are important to you. This is a great way to not only remind them that Christ is the reason for the season, but that as a Catholic, you want to be a resource to them. This is also a great opportunity you can get your kids involved in. They're part of the community and they have an important perspective and certainly legislators work on behalf of their interests as well. Again, to find contact information for your elected officials, just head to mncatholic.org slash action center. Snap some pictures of your card making process and share them with us on social media. Use the hashtag #BridgeBuilder. That's all the time we have for today, but make sure to catch up on past episodes on your favorite podcast app. Then leave us a five-star rate and click share so that more Catholics can begin to build a bridge between faith and public life. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges between faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, and for Kit Sapiniak of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, thanks for listening and have a blessed day.